Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Today, my guest is one of my clients, Carol, and she is going to talk about her personal transformation, even to the point where she lost uh, a little over 40 pounds and, um, and how long it took and we're going behind the green curtain. So we're going to talk about it, the coaching process, and the truth about what it takes to transform and how it's even possible when you may not believe it in the beginning. So thanks so much for listening to Carol's story, and I'll circle back afterwards. And this is a long one, so hang in there with us. Carol, hello, and welcome to my show. Hi, Corinne. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. So... I invited you on the show because one, you've done the work and you've, and I used to hate the word transformation because, you know, back before I would, was willing to do the work myself, I just wanted to happen very transactionally, like getting a cup of coffee, Mm -hmm. even faster than getting a cup of coffee. And, but you've done the work. We've been working together for over three years. And I think you have a great story to share with the listeners of like, what is possible when you really commit and what does it really look like behind those green curtains? Of going through this transformation. Mm-hmm. So when bef- when you contacted me a few years ago, what did you think it was going to be like? Well, I originally contacted you for weight loss. Um, after leaving my marriage, I gained quite a bit of weight. And I've successfully lost weight in the past with about every program you can, Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig, Atkins. And uh, it always came back. So I had a friend that had a lot of success with you. So I thought I'd give it a try and see. And um, I think two and a half years later, we finally got around to dealing with the weight loss. I had no idea all the other um, all the other things that were in my way. What were those things that were in your way? Oh, gosh, a lot of um, a lot of self-hatred, a lot of shame. Um, I didn't believe I could change at all. Um, I just didn't have the tools to make the changes that I needed to make. And back then, I didn't even know what the changes were. I was just in a really, I was in a really dark place at that time. Well, and what you said is so true. A lot of times I'll have clients that will come to me for weight loss because that's tangible. Mm -hmm. And and then that kind of gets put on the back burner like it did with you because there were other things that we had to work through, mm-hmm. and whether it was the self-hatred or the, the shame or the guilt and really even understanding what shame was. I mean, wasn't that a learning process? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I had no idea. And were you just happy and gleeful every time we'd have a session? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I would spend the, the day before writing my reflection with a pit in my stomach, and then I would sit there in the morning and wait for the phone to ring and think, I do not want to do this at all, because it was, I, my favorite word, it was hard. Um, it was it was scary, and you have a way of 
pushing just the right amount and asking just the hard enough questions that I couldn't avoid the answers and I couldn't turn away. Um, yeah, you, you just, you're just tough enough. (laughs) Yeah. I know how to push back or to just run over somebody who doesn't call me on my shit and Mm -hmm. you, boy, you always did. It's great. Well, and when you first signed up, you didn't sign up for three years. No. Right? You signed up for six months. I thought it would be easy to fix my weight in that time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, you know, I'm always really clear because, you, you know, you start to hear how I work with these clients long term, but it's not that I'm keeping you and you're in this prison and you have mm, to work with me. No, no, not at all. No, it's like when you start to see the glimmer of change and you start to understand what it is that you're doing that's holding you back. And then you get a little bit of that light. It's like, you just want more. And that's what's happened is that, you know, we've processed through a lot of different things that I was dealing with during these three years and um, we'd get one fixed and then move on to the next. And I know that, you know, we always say I'm a collector of evidence. I like to know that I can do it because then I am willing to try it on something else, but I could see the changes and how, my mindset changed on how I looked at things like divorce and things like that. And, um, it, it became instead of a, um, instead of a scary process, it became a hopeful process because the, the results were so, um, oh, just amazing. Yeah. And what was, what made it scary initially when you'd have that pit in your stomach and you'd just be going, Um, because I knew you were going to ask me questions and I knew I had to tell you the truth and I'd spent a lot of years not being honest with myself, um, in a variety of ways. So, I mean, like you said, you weren't holding me prisoner. I was there by choice and it was going to that place where I knew I was going to say out loud some things that I maybe had never said before, admitted things I'd never admitted before. Um, because somewhere inside I knew that the only way I was going to make any kind of transformation was to get rid of all that crap that I was carrying around. So one of the things I say a lot to you is we own our story and mm-hmm. we love ourselves. Mm-hmm. And in this process, have you become more comfortable with owning your story and loving yourself? Yes, but it did not happen the first session or the second session, maybe the third session even. I mean, it's taken me a long time because I honestly, I could own my stories. I think that part of it came a little bit sooner. Um, I could see where I was ultimately the cause and effect of everything that was going on in my life. Um, but I did not love myself and to say that I love myself felt just like a lie and I felt like a fraud and it, it's only been in the last six months. I think that I can honestly say that I do love myself and, um, it feels, it just feels right instead of feeling like I'm pretending. Mm -hmm. So why now can you love yourself? <clears throat> hmm. I think a big part of it is 
how different I am now than I was three years ago. And I'm not talking just about my weight. Um, and I'll be honest, it's easier to love myself when I look better. I mean, you know, there's, there's that I'm, I'm just very, very proud of how hard I work and how far I've come since these last three years or so. Yay. You for being really, really proud of yourself. <laughs> Cause it was a lot of work. Did you think that this process, did you think this process would be the way it was? No, I, not at all. I, I originally came to you for weight loss. I had a friend who had had a lot of success with you and I thought I would meet with you and talk and, um, you'd tell me what to do and I would do it. I would lose the weight and that would be that. Um, I'd, lost weight many times before with all the regular Jenny Craig, Weight Watchers, Atkins, whatever, but always gain the weight back. Um, I thought that when my ex and I separated, I would move out and I would be able to live the absolute healthy life that I always wanted to live and I'd immediately lose 30 pounds and instead I immediately gained 40 pounds uh, because I was, I was using food for comfort without even knowing that that's what I was doing. What were you comforting? Oh, the shame of and guilt of leaving a marriage, um, destroying my family. The kids are all out of the house. So that was, you know, kind of didn't make sense. Um, I felt really bad that he was so hurt. Um, Yeah, I just, uh, you know, my life wasn't the way I thought my life was going to be at age 57, and um, I was trying to make myself forget it. Did you believe that you deserved a good life at that time? No, no, I didn't. I, um, I, d I don't think I knew what I believed at that time, quite honestly. I was just in a hole, um, and I didn't even know how deep the hole was because in my mind, if I lost weight, everything would be better. Mm -hmm. So that's why I decided to work with you so I could lose weight and be better. You know, I'm wondering if that's why like the weight loss has been the, the thing that we've worked on since what, September, mm -hmm. October. Mm -hmm. And the other two years there were other things because you had this belief that if your, your life would be better if you'd lose the weight and wasn't your life better without losing the weight. Yes. It definitely was after two years of working through everything that we work through. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And it wasn't until I, I couldn't even begin to work on the weight until I dealt with all the other crap. Mm -hmm. I mean, shame was the big, was the big thing that got in the mm -hmm. way, wasn't it? Yeah, right. The yeah. voice of I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it could just, you know, I would say manifest in so many arenas of your life. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I didn't took me, took me a while to understand that shame is such a huge thing. It's everywhere. Um, and like we always say, I still have it. It still pops up, but now I don't run to get a, you know, a carton of ice cream anymore to, to fix it or use alcohol. To right. It. Right. Exactly. And so that was the, one of the other things that occurred. So I don't know, two or three months into our coaching relationship, our partnership, mm -hmm. Uh, you let me know about drinking mm -hmm. and what was going on. Um, do you care to share that? Yeah. 
Um, I quit drinking about 28 years ago. I, you know, realized I was an alcoholic. I have a lot of alcoholics in my family. And um, that was another thing that I experimented with after I moved out was I thought, well, I'm, I'll just have a glass of wine here or a beer there or whatever. And did that for a little while. And the inevitable happened where one day I got very drunk and embarrassed myself in front of my family. Um, and that shame was like a 40 ton black cloud that just descended on me. Um, it's the lowest I think that I felt even with leaving my marriage and feeling bad about what I did to our family or whatever like that. That was the biggest shame that I think I've felt in a very long time. Um, what did you make that circumstance mean about you? I think it was right back into the not good enough, can't control my life. I'm a failure. Um, I'm never going to get better. Yeah. Did you believe you could have what you wanted? Not at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think at that point I even knew what I wanted. Mm -hmm. I, I had some ideas of what I didn't want, but I didn't know what other possibilities were even out there. And then so prior to, you know, starting on this recommitting to this weight loss journey, what mm -hmm. were some of the changes that you experienced that made you choose that where you chose to continue our co coaching partnership? It was, it was a lot of small shifts. What are those little hinges move big doors? Mm -hmm. Um, It, oh, gosh. I think when I started having some, you know, sort of aha moments, um, like doing the thought work, and that, that just kicked my ass, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I like to do things right. I like to be perfect. Um, all good shame triggers. <laughs> and I couldn't get it, and I couldn't get it, and I couldn't get it. And... You know, I could hear you say, feelings come from thoughts and you can choose what you want to believe. Mm -hmm. I intellectually, at some level, I'm like, well, yeah, that makes total sense. But applying it to my own life, I was just like, I just don't get it. I, I mean, I felt like I said, I don't get it how many hundreds of times. Um, that's the part about working with you that is so great is that you didn't let me quit. I would have, in my previous life, I would have just said, screw this and, you know, tried something else. Um, but I started to see the impact that my thoughts would have on what stories I would tell myself and what feelings would come from that. And, you know, and was able to start see little, little successes with that. You know, it's like I'd, I'd hear the story in my head and instead of letting it run for two or three days, I could say, oh, look what I'm, why am I telling myself that crappy story? Mm -hmm. It's, you know, you can choose to believe it's going to be good or you can choose to believe you're never going to figure it out. And why not choose the positive one? Um, 
trying to think of all the other stuff that we've done. I mean, there's just been so much. Well, I mean, it was about being kind to yourself with, Mm -hmm. you know, the ending of your marriage Mm -hmm. and um, the story that you're hurting your children. Mm -hmm. And they were actually fine. Yeah. Yeah, I... I think I always felt that it was my job to make sure that everybody was happy, except I didn't have to worry about myself because my Mm -hmm. needs didn't matter. So learning to put my needs first and not feel guilty about that was another big, big change. Um, Another, another really, um, really big thing that I've gotten from all the work that we've done is that being responsible for the energy that you project. Mm-hmm. Um, I have seen great evidence um, time and time again about believing that that it's going to be good and then also believing that it's going to be bad. And when I go into a situation expecting drama or negativity or whatever, that's always what comes right back to me. If I go into a situation with the attitude that I know this is going to all work out. That's what happens. And it has happened to me how many times in the past year? Mm -hmm. A lot. Yep. Yes. Now that's really powerful. And to be able to play with that and you played it with it, you know, in um, like small moments or like less risky moments Mm -hmm. of just like paying attention to that, which then give you some evidence to go, okay, this sounds a bit hokey, but, Maybe there is something to it. <laughs> kind of hard to avoid believing it when you start to see it happen. Let's talk about temper tantrums, shall we? <laughs> oh, my favorite thing. I love temper tantrums. <laughs> I think I've mastered them, don't you? <laughs> Usually, when I'm right at the precipice of making a big change, I have a panic attack and throw a temper tantrum and I am like, I'm not doing it. I can't do it. I don't want to do it. I'm just fine the way I am right now. It's never going to work. I hate it. Why do I have to? I've done that with weight loss, done that with work probably, uh-huh. done it with online dating, a whole nother ball of wax. Um, I think with buying a house. Buying a house. Yep. Um Yeah, I, I it's the it's the perfect time to do the verbal vomit. <laughs> get all get it all out of my system. Yeah, but it's it I look back at it and I think it is it really is almost always right before I am willing to take that step to commit to what it is that I think I want, I have to have a little temper tantrum and fall back in the old ways a little bit. We could look at it like it's it's a decluttering, right? It's that old stuff that you're just getting rid of. Yeah. It's that resistance yeah. that's getting in the way because it is. It's all the old stories are what come mm-hmm. pouring out. Yep, all the old thoughts and beliefs and stories. Yep, or or like how you were trying to convince me one day. So uh, Carol did the daring way um, for a year, and uh, Brene Brown talks about the arena, and there's this picture of the hallway leading up to the arena, and Carol said, Corinne, I actually really like to live there in the hallway. I don't want to go out to the arena and dare greatly. I like to live in the hallway. hallway. Yep. And I said, oh, with the mold and 
there's not really fresh air and the rats. You like to live there. <laughs> You're like, yeah, it's way easier. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Not pleasant, but easy. <laughs> but then you'd, you would have those temper tantrums and then you'd be able to move through them. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing that I've discovered is that I can't go back to the way I was. No matter how scary the next step is, I've taken a lot of big steps over the past three years and have had some really incredible results. And the thought of living my old way or even the way I lived six months ago or a year ago. I mean, there's just been transformation after transformation. And I I know when I start doing it, because I, f- I just feel shitty. When I start to try and do the old ways again, it's like, what is going on? Why do I feel this way? I sit down, spend some quiet time and think about it, or maybe write down, you know, do some journaling. And it always is becomes very clear very fast that I'm trying to apply, you know, old beliefs to uh, a way of life that doesn't exist anymore. So what were these transformations over the last three years? Oh, mm-hmm. um, owning, owning the story that I'm telling myself, um, and then actually dissecting those stories to find out if what is in them is actually true or not. Mm-hmm. And most of my stories were negative tales about myself, about what I couldn't do or what I did wrong. Um, I learned to believe in myself again. Um, and it's not about perfection. I mean, i you know, sometimes you try something, it doesn't work, and you look, go back, circle back, and say, well, that, was, that wasn't so good, you know? And um, I don't have that, I don't know if fixed mindset is the right word or not, but I don't think I know exactly what's going to happen when I go into something, or I used to. I used to think if I was going to go and, you know, try something that if I didn't get exactly what I thought I wanted, it was a failure. Mm. When I go into a situation now, I'm much more open to the outcome being different than what I thought I want because I've learned that I don't really know what I want all the time. I have the ideas, but sometimes I maybe there's something I thought I wanted, and when I got it, it was like, that's not what I wanted at all. And mm-hmm. so a lot of circling back and paying attention. I've learned to listen to myself and to listen to my gut, which I didn't do before. Everything was, I just didn't do that before. Um, Who did you listen to before? Everybody else. Everybody else. Um, I didn't. I think a lot of it goes back to like my parents' relationship. My mom was not a real strong person and she didn't she didn't stand up for herself very much and I think growing up with that you kind of learn to model what you what you see. Um but over the over the course of my marriage 
I was heard less and less. And after a time, I quit trying to be heard. So I didn't even have a voice in that Um. And I just always put everybody else, everybody else ahead of me. But again, I can't go back there. I don't want to go back Mm -hmm. there. I mean, that was a, that was a very sad, sad place to be. Um, Is it now easier for you to hear your inner voice? Yeah, that's, thank you, because that's kind of where I was going and I lost my train of thought. Um, yeah, I, I'm so much more in tune with myself, my inner voice, that if I, if I am in a situation and I'm thinking, specifically right now of, of dating, which I've just started doing in the last couple months. Um, I can tell I, I, you know, we'll meet somebody or whatever like that. And it's not hard to hear the voice in my head anymore where it used to be. It used to be, well, this is good enough. Mm. I will never do good enough again. Mm. Um, it's either, it's either, I was going to say perfect, but there's a (laughs) shit storm. (laughs) It's not going to be perfect, but it's either going to be in line with my values and my desires and my wants, or it's not. Mm -hmm. And I spent so many years settling in so many ways. Um, I, I could be a little bit militant about it at this point, but I know that that pendulum will even out over time as well. I was recently in Canada giving some talks and one, uh, you know, when I was talking about staying in your own business and um, one of the questions and that they struggled with was this idea of you know, being selfish, right? And when you talk about um, how you've learned to put your needs first, which was a big change, mm-hmm. would your family, would your friends consider you selfish now? <laughs> no, no. Um and by the way, Carol has an amazing relationship with her three adult kids, an amazing relationship. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, I do. Um, no, they don't. I, I will say, I think there are some people who don't, who, who can't understand um, that putting yourself first is like the healthiest thing that you can do. And those are people that are maybe more stuck in the way I used to be. Um, But the people that really know me and really love me and they see how happy I am now and how excited I am for things, like why wouldn't you do that? I mean, who doesn't want to be that way? Mm -hmm. It's the people that are more stuck in the old, in the swamp that, that don't understand and and that's okay. They're just not there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, when you when you take care of yourself, I mean, and this is what I try to explain. When you take care of yourself, don't you actually have more to give other people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you're happy. You're not you're not spending all that time and energy on being mad 
wishing it was different, wishing you were somewhere else or with someone else. It's like, it's like instead of that dark, damp um, hallway <laughs> going to the arena, there's a lot of light in the arena. Who knew? It's wide open. There's lots of lots of possibilities instead of just that long, narrow corridor. And um, I didn't know how to, I just didn't know how to be in that situation where there was possibilities and light and love and all of that because it had just been so dark for so long. And here's, here's the other thing. Would people on the outside of you, like people that you knew, would they have thought that? No, no. You, you kind of look like you had the life. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the country club life, lots of money, trips, no worries at all. Um, and absolutely miserable because it was somebody else's life and not the life that I wanted for myself. And I, I don't know, you know, I just gave, I gave up bits of myself over time and got to the point where I was gone. You know, I was completely gone. And um, yeah, I just, and it just, you know, there's always one straw that breaks the camel's back that makes, for me, it made me just go, I can't do this anymore. I cannot live this way anymore. So something I just thought of is that, you know, again, you left that country club life, right? And and so often we are so rooted in scarcity. We're like, oh, no, I can't leave this. This mm-hmm. is as good as it gets. Mm-hmm. And you left that and, you know, you left the marriage and then you were in a management position and, and we'd done a lot of work and you're in a management position and then you decided you didn't want to lead. And then you went to the grocery store and to work in there and actually the grocery store all the people from the country club life shop at that grocery store. Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, your first experience there and you can correct me where I'm wrong, but it was like the people that were coming in and they come through your line and say, Oh, they're a bit surprised. Right. Right. Cause it didn't bother you. No, because I had decided that I wasn't going to live. I wasn't going to do things that, didn't make me happy anymore. Mm -hmm. My marriage definitely did not make me happy. We tried to fix it. I mean, you know, we did a year of therapy and we, I think we exhausted all efforts and it just, just wasn't going to be. So, and then with my job, I got to where it was not as much fun. I didn't like going to work. And Corinne, you made the best point back then. It's not that the job had changed, but that I had changed. And what was normal and acceptable for, you know, seven years, all of a sudden I, it wasn't acceptable to me anymore. And I was just tired of having all that responsibility and have everything fall on my shoulders. And so, yeah, I took a step down and had one friend of mine one time, she came through my line and she said, Oh, you're a cashier. (laughs) (laughs) I said, yeah, it's great. You know, I, I love going to work every day. It's not perfect. No job is ever going to be perfect, but, um, I don't, who would want to get up every day and go do something that they didn't want to do? I can't even imagine that anymore. And yet I did that for so many years. Well, and you trusted that 
you know, this wasn't going to be forever. Mm -hmm. This is what you wanted to do. And again, stepping out of being a leader and being able to show up and really just be responsible for yourself, Mm -hmm. but not in a selfish way because you are still part of a team and that's the way that store operates. Right. Um, And then knowing that there's going to be other opportunities, again, like getting out of that whole scarcity culture that our, our, our society thrives on, you just didn't. And I think that goes back to like the work that you did Mm -hmm. to be able to do that and to be able to stand there as these people that you've known and, and they were probably judging and and you were fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I can honestly say that I will never live my life for anybody but me. And if people don't like it, as you say, that says a lot about them. (laughs) Um, I've learned one of the, another big thing I've learned is that I don't control people's feelings. I don't make anybody feel bad, sad, mad, whatever. They are in charge of that. And I can only be responsible for how how I feel. Um, And I did struggle with that one for a long time because it feels, it, that feels really selfish and, and really almost, almost kind of a screw you kind of a thing, you know, but I see now is that if I'm living my life in line with my integrity and my values, I'm good. Mm-hmm. And you can do with it what you like. Well, and then what happens is that you're being responsible with the energy that you bring right. into the space. So right. if you're bringing in, you know, calm, confident, whatever the energy is, mm-hmm. right? Joy, happiness to to space, you're being really responsible versus if you're angry, if you're indulging in the drama in your brain, mm-hmm. right? Then you're showing up and everybody's like, oh. Yep. Or if you're trying to cover it up and armor it up, there's still people can still feel the remnants. Yep. Very, very, very true. So again, it's, it's that it's that so counterculture that what we've been brought up to, oh, oh you're responsible for how I feel or, you know, um, just fake it till you make it or any of that stuff. But mm-hmm. really, it's about going inside doing your work so that your best self can show up because then, it, then it's not toxic for the rest right. of the environment. Yep. So like I said, again, at work, it's you didn't want to lead and you want to be responsible for yourself, but you're still a team player within the workplace. Oh, absolutely. Right? Because yeah. that's, that's the culture of the store that you're at. Mm-hmm. That's the culture. So it's not like you're like, oh, well, that's a problem for them, not for me. And and I want that to be clear for the listeners, because I think if you take it at first hit and you're hearing this, you're going to be like, hmm, that does sound really selfish, but it's really not because it's actually being responsible for the energy and in in realizing we are all connected. Yep. I mean, it's, we are working as a team in you know grocery store. Everybody is dependent upon everybody else. And I see people come in and they've got that negative attitude and nobody wants to work with them. Nobody wants to be around them. So I just didn't, I felt like I was doing it all by myself at my other job. Mm-hmm. And I, I really wanted to be part of a team and, and it wasn't, just wasn't able to happen where I was before. So yeah, it, um, uh, yeah, definitely not selfish. I mean, not not that way. It's it's a compl- it's more selfless than selfish. I think if you look at it that way. Now I want to switch over to the weight loss. Okay, because I think you've blown your own mind pretty much in the last six months. <laughs> yes, right. You yeah. think about it. So three years ago, Carol hires me to do weight loss, and that gets put on the back burner rather quickly, um, and because she just had other work to do. And this is this can be actually. Uh, um, very tan. This is very common. And one of the things that happens is that people believe, oh, if I lose the weight, I'm going to be really happy. And 
it's often about being happy and then the weight loss comes off. Or yeah. The, ex- the weight, the weight comes right, off. Right. So let's talk about, so you decided we were about to finish up and then you decided to commit two of your coaching mm-hmm. for weight loss. Right. Yep. <laughs> um, and I didn't believe that I could do it. Mm-hmm. I believe I said that many times. You'd say, do you believe? I'd say, nope, I don't think I can do it because I haven't. And, not having evidence is a, you know, kind of what, what runs me sometimes. But, um, and it's interesting. I take notes when Corinne and I do my, do our sessions on the phone. And last fall, I went back and started looking through some of the very early ones when we first started working together. And I think the very first session, she recommended that I read the book, Why We Get Fat by Gary Tobbs. I don't even remember her telling me that. I wrote it down, but I apparently wasn't interested in listening to what she had to say. Um, Not the only time that's ever happened. Yeah, very true. <laughs> very true. But you're, you know, we always come around and you're right every time. <laughs> My family would not like that statement. <laughs> we won't tell. Um, anyway, so we we start a new session that is dedicated to weight loss and. She says, there's a book you should read called Why We Get Fat by Gary Tobbs. And I had a lot of evidence that I could change a lot of things about how I looked at, looked at you know, what I was doing and what I was thinking and how I could make changes. And I had made a lot of changes at that point. So I got the book and I read it and it was like just a bright light went off in the middle of my head. It, the book is about, you know, insulin and carbs and sugars and things like that and the way he the way he describes what happens to your blood when you, you know, when you eat carbs or sugar. Um, I don't know. I just got a very visual image of what I've been doing to my body. I, um, you know, years and years of yo-yo dieting and like I said, every different weight loss thing. So I committed to um, taking all grains and all sugars out of my diet, even fruit. I haven't really even had any fruit since September. And and how long did you commit for initially? Do you remember? Uh, I don't remember. Six weeks. It was like to Thanksgiving. Oh, really? Six, yeah. oh wow. Oh, yeah. I do remember that uh-huh. now. Yeah. I'll try it till Thanksgiving and we'll see if it works. <laughs> That's way to believe in something. Yeah. Um, there's always got to be a safety net, right? My other clients would be like, wait, you let her get away with that? <laughs> well, we both knew that wasn't going to happen at some level, huh? Um. And I haven't really gone back. I should have gone back and looked and see what the weight loss was for that six-week period of time. But I know I initially, I think I lost, I lost probably six or seven pounds right away um, because it was, I was not eating well at that time at all. Lots and lots of um, sweets and bread and pasta and things like that. Not a lot of vegetables. But the... Um, had my first little bit of evidence gathering with uh, Thanksgiving where I decided that I was going to just eat normal food. I'm from an Italian family, so we always have pasta on Thanksgiving along with stuffing and rolls and pies and all that other kind of stuff. So I ate whatever I wanted and felt like I had a bowling ball in my gut for the next five days. So it was like ding, ding, evidence gathering number two. Um so I don't know if we officially committed to doing it until Christmas or whatever, but I just went right back to it, 
Well, you were so hungover, like you were physically oh, yeah. hungover from the food. Um, and it was a decision you made ahead of time. Right. Right. You decided, you said, okay, I went six weeks. And there were some temper tantrums because it wasn't moving as fast right. as you thought it should. Right. And um, and then you, you know, but you'd already planned a long time before that, hey, this was going to be Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do this. And that was fine. And then we had that intensive, like I think your second intensive. Okay. And you did not feel good. You're like, I'm tired. And, and that was enough evidence that whatever you were doing, you just felt better mm-hmm. regardless of the weight loss. Right. Right. And I think that's the part that I didn't know would happen is that I, you know, I've had back surgery. So I have, I've had back issues in the past. And typically in the morning when I get up, it takes a minute or two before I can straighten all the way up. My back is stiff. It aches, whatever. And I realized one day that I'm popping out of bed like nobody's business. I get up, I walk, and I don't have any pain at all. Um, I had no idea that eliminating, you know, grains and sugars out of my diet could do that. The other thing is the, um, the energy, energy level that's changed. I, I struggled always with that three o'clock or three thirty. God, I'm dragging. I need something to eat. So didn't want to have caffeine cause I wouldn't sleep at night, but I'd have something and it was always something, you know, something carby, um, which I understand now would, just make me crash even harder. So I don't have any more energy dips. I'm like the same all the time. Sometimes ask my coworkers, sometimes too much energy. <laughs> and wait, and how old are you? <laughs> I'm 59. Yeah, I, I'm literally sometimes running circles around these kids in their 20s because they're tired, they're hungover, they're eating like crap, and um, they don't see the correlation between what they're putting into their body and what it's doing to their you know, to their energy levels. So, um, I mean, I go to work at 4am sometimes. Doesn't matter. You know, I set my alarm, I get up, I'm good the rest of the day. Um, we have, we've, uh, tracked my, um, my weight and my sleep (laughs) since the beginning of doing this. Well, we added the sleep a little bit later. later. Um, and my weight tends to go It'll go down a little bit, down a little bit, and then it'll plateau. Then it'll go up, and I have a temper tantrum again because <laughs> it's also only supposed to go down every week, right? But um, we started noticing that on nights when I don't get as much sleep, that's when my weight pops up a pound or two or four. Uh-huh. Um, and when you can see it just in a black and white kind of report form, it's like, oh, look, there it is that week, there it is that week, there it is that week. And I got to see the patterns and I got to see the evidence that, yeah, when you get back to getting a couple good nights sleep, guess what? You drop two more pounds. And so, yeah, at times it was very frustrating that I wasn't losing as fast as maybe some other people were, but I was losing. And the other thing that changed is um, I was losing inches. Even if I wasn't losing pounds, I was losing inches. And I know from September, I measured myself. And then I remeasured again in January, right? Mm -hmm. And it was something like 27 inches that I lost. I think nine inches off my hips. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy. And Well, and then like, was it May or something? I don't have your folder in front of me, but in May, um, the scale kind of like plateaued a bit again. And you're having a little temper tantrum. Mm -hmm. 
And I said, well, what were your measurements? And then I read to you and I didn't know. And I had, a, I looked it up and you were pretty flabbergasted of how much, I think yeah. it's like another four inches or yeah. something. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, and I can tell, I, I have in my closet what I call the archives. It's <laughs> all the clothes that used to fit when I was thin. And I, for some reason, I just don't throw stuff away. You know, it's in boxes or whatever. But um, I started growing out of my clothes, as in they wouldn't stay up, my pants and stuff. I couldn't wear the the pants that I had. And so I started digging into the archives. And um, every couple of weeks, I could pull out another pair that maybe when I tried them on two weeks prior, they uh, I could get them on, but you know I couldn't breathe. But it's like, oh, now I can get them on and I can button them. I mean, it was just, it was like the fat was literally melting off. It was the very strangest thing I've, um, you hear other people talk about it, but I'd never seen that happen before. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I've had to go and buy a lot of new clothes because nothing I owned will stay up. Mm -hmm. It's a good feeling. (laughs) Well, you blew your own mind. I did. Yeah. I didn't think, I, I honestly did not think I could, I could do what I've done. And I found some, shared this with you a couple weeks ago. I found an old um, draft of some, some things that I was writing for my, um, my weekly reflections. And I mean, it was like four or five different thought models. And all it said was, I can't do this. I don't think I can do this. I don't believe I can do this. I'm pretty sure I can't do this. We call that indulging in the drama. (laughs) (laughs) I was living in the swamp land. Um, And, you know, like I said, for me personally, it's important to see evidence because then I can go, oh, no, wait, look, you remember you did do that and you can do that. And I started getting a lot of evidence and it just kind of built on each other. And um, I would experiment with you know, adding more fat or adding less fat or whatever like that. And the a big gift that I've gotten, I think, from Corinne is that it's an experiment. Mm-hmm. It's not, you're not making a set in stone thing. Try it. Try it for three weeks, four weeks. See what happens. If it doesn't work, you can try something else. It's not failure. And before I started working with you, if I tried something and it didn't work, I was a failure. Mm-hmm. And then there's that whole shame thing that starts up and you know, it just the vicious cycle would start up again. But I know now I try something, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but it doesn't mean anything at all. Well, and the thing I think that's really important because this is Carol's journey and I have in, and I have other clients who do it in a different way. So, you know, I don't tell people what to eat. Um, and it, I remember, I don't know, maybe four or five year, weeks ago where you said, you know, I, I, I was thinking about giving up heavy whipping cream in mm-hmm. my coffee mm-hmm. and you noticed how that felt inside of you. And it was actually feeling restrictive. And you said, you know what? That's okay. And, and dairy, like there's so many different, you know, nutritional information that's out there of what you're supposed to eat, what you're not supposed to eat. And so some people go, well, everything conflicts everything. So I'm just going to do whatever I want. And I'm going to totally indulge. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing that I tell my clients is test it out and experiment. And for you, you just decided that to, you enjoy that so much that why give it up? If it means I lose weight a little bit slower, but I can have my coffee the way I like it, that's absolutely worth it to me. Yeah. And I and that's the beauty because I think that becomes so empowering is that, oh, I can actually trust myself, mm-hmm. you know, and I can make a choice of, it's, it's like how, you know, choosing how you want to spend your money to buy a couch, to buy a house, to buy a car, right? Mm-hmm. All the things that you've been through. And you get to choose 
and knowing that, okay, yeah, maybe if I buy a house, there's going to be, you know, more money. (laughs) There'll be less money in the savings account Mm -hmm. because the money's in the house. Right. Right. But you choose and that's being the emotional adult instead of like, oh, I've now spent all this money and I don't have it in my account. Right. Now, now we're being a victim of the choices Mm -hmm. that we make. And you decided that is too restrictive. Yep. Right. Yep. Where there's going to be somebody out there who's going to say, oh, you should absolutely take out dairy because of X, Y, and Z. For you, you're good. Yep. Yeah, I, I, um, it's the other thing that, that, um, that we do that is, I think, really counterculture to what people say is to weigh every day and write it down. Um, and share it with me, which and, she wasn't yeah. happy about. Yes. <laughs> food journaling. I, how many, how long did I refuse to food journal? I'm not doing it. I just said flat out, I'm not doing it. It makes me crazy. And now it's like, oh, better sit down and do that. I almost forgot tonight. I don't even think about it anymore. Um, my fear with the food journaling is that I was going to be judged. Uh-huh. And but were you? No, no. I judged myself very well. I didn't need any help from you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but every other you know, diet plan, whatever that I had done where there was food journaling, there was judging involved and shame. And I yeah, I, I wasn't, I wasn't going to go there with you. Not yet. Um, but writing down the number every day and weighing every day, it like, you know, it's, a, it's just a number. It doesn't mean anything. But in the beginning, it meant a lot. It meant a lot. Right. And yeah. that's like, when we talk about doing this thought work, mm-hmm. that's, that's the, that's kind of really the hidden reason, right? right? Because it creates the shit storms. It opens up the floodgates of what's going on in your brain. Cause you have to face it. Yep. You see this number and then all of a sudden these feelings come about and then it's like, what are you making that number mean? Right. And then you get to the point where you're like, oh, it's just a number. Or then it was a point where you realize like how you lost weight as you the number would go down and go down and then it hit and then it bounce up. Mm-hmm. Sometimes like bounce up four pounds. Yeah. Yeah. But after a while you got used to that, you know, pattern and mm-hmm. you're like, oh, okay. And I know it come back down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you had done a lot of training on your mind by doing these things. Yeah. And, and even the training of you know, I mean, and you would own it. You would get on the call with me and say, well, I didn't want to write this down because I thought you were going to judge me. And I'm like, and do I judge you? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, most people judge. Uh-huh. I think most people do. And to find a find an environment in a safe place where there is no judging is, it's mind blowing, really. Thank you. Yeah. Um, one of the other things I want to talk about, because Yes, you do like evidence. And that's one of the things that we worked on, especially in the beginning, is creating evidence mm-hmm. for yourself, right? Because mm-hmm. you didn't have any belief that things could change. Right. But then, I can't remember if it was January or February, where we started to create beliefs that you had no evidence for. Yes. Remember that? In, the, intense, in the third down. intensive? Yeah. Yes. That was powerful. Yeah. That, that's absolutely changed what I believe can happen. Because there was no evidence. No. No. And guess what happened? <laughs> I believed and it happened. Um, yeah, the the pray for rain or pray rain difference, and I can't explain it. I just know and I understand it. Um, that is just so huge for how I'm going forward and what I believe can happen for me. Mm-hmm. Because I believe I can, it, I believe mm-hmm. that it will. There's mm-hmm. just no question in my mind. Um, but it's like you know I, that day that I caught myself saying, 
I don't even remember which one it was, but it was something about, I will find, I will find somebody just like me. Uh-huh. And I was like, no, that's praying for rain. And it's like, no, I'm going to find somebody I, like me. I, I, find, am w- I am with somebody like me. Yeah, or something yeah like I that. find yeah. somebody like me. And yeah. I thought, okay, that's that was another huge piece for me of evidence that it was like, I it's like in me now. It's all part of my DNA that the way I look at things, I still, I still stutter and, you know, I have to have to uh, kind of catch up. Like a couple weeks ago, I hit my goal weight. Uh-huh. Very exciting about that. The next day it was up four pounds <laughs> and it was like, what the hell? You know, and I did have a little bit of a, a little bit of a panic attack and it was like, I better restrict what I eat today. And, you know, I, I, I won't have lunch or I won't whatever. And, and then I thought, that's stupid, <laughs> you well, know. This is that old hardware. Yeah, yeah, yep. Right away, it was like I've got to change what I'm doing because it's not working anymore. And yesterday, I was back down to my goal weight again. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So let's talk numbers, okay? So where were you and where are you at? When I was at my heaviest last year, and it was a little bit before we started working on the weight loss thing. My heaviest last year was 185. Mm-hmm. I'm five six. I was wearing size 14 pants. My goal weight, where I'm at right now, is 142. I wear a six or an eight in pants. And I used to hate to see my shadow when I was walking because of the shape of my body or how the bulges were or whatever like that. And I would avoid looking in uh, store windows because I didn't want to see. And now when I'm out walking or doing whatever, it's like... I feel so proud of myself for what I've done and how far I've come. Um, you know, I'll never, I'll never change how I'm eating now because it's not a diet. It's a way of life. It just works so well for me. I know the weight's not going to come back ever. I don't even know how much more I'm going to lose. I'm just eating the way I'm eating and I figure it'll settle out where it needs to settle out. Um, I had to carry a five-gallon jug of water upstairs at work the other day. And I figure, I don't know how much that weighs, probably 50 pounds. I don't know how much water weighs, but it was heavy. And without the five-pound gallon of water, I bounce up those stairs like a rabbit. And I carried that jug of water upstairs and got to the top, and I was, my heart was pounding. I was breathing heavy. I thought, oh, my God, that's what it was like carrying around all that weight all the time. It's, I, I, I wish I could, could share the light feeling that not having that, and it's not just the weight, it's all the heavy stuff too, that mm-hmm. I've been able to let go. All the guilt, all the shame, all the self All the negativity. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. It's just living in that swampland that you said was really comfortable. It's nice. <laughs> I have a lawn chair. There's a lot of mosquitoes there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, don't know how to get there anymore. No, actually, I, I'm sure at some point, you know, I'm going to try and go back to that swampland because that's, you know, like you said, the hard wiring's there. And, mm-hmm. and um, but the difference is, is that I recognize it pretty fast now instead of feeling normal when mm-hmm. I'm there. It's like, oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Oh, hey, that felt good. Not. So one of the things that you said is that you don't eat sugars and grains. Mm-hmm. And do you tell yourself you can't have that? No, no, I I have zero feeling of deprivation every day. In, in your, there's a bakery, a really good bakery. There's a good bakery and um, in the store. Yep, and a lot of times there's good bakery products in the break room. 
which I indulged in all the time before I changed how I was eating. But literally, I have this mental image in my head of eating something and having it spike my insulin. And I think about that and I have, I just haven't had any desire to have it. And I had the biggest sweet tooth um, ever. A lot of, a lot of people when they quit drinking, they replace the alcohol with sugar because alcohol is a sugar or made from sugar. Um, so a lot of alcoholics have a really strong sweet tooth and I was right there. But um, the other thing I've discovered about myself is the, the difference between being a moderator or an mm-hmm. abstainer. Some people can just make a few changes and say, well, I just won't eat anything during the week and I'll have what I want on the weekends or whatever. And people like me are like, it's got to be all or nothing because I know if I start, I don't know if I can stop. And that's part of what being the alcoholic was like. It's like if once that bottle's open, it's all over. Um, I There was never any half-open uh, boxes of crackers in my house. Let's just put it that way. If I opened it, I ate it. And so... I have, I just know that about myself and I know that it's got to be all or nothing, but it's not out of a place of deprivation. It's a place of, I want to feel good. I want to look good. And I know I'm okay without it. I don't, I don't miss it. And mm-hmm. if I ever want it, I'll have it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not, I don't tell myself that I can't have it. I tell myself that I don't want it. And that's just the biggest mind shift ever. Mm-hmm. That, no, that that's huge, right? Because you're not restricting yourself. Mm-hmm. You're just, again, being that emotional adult waiting like, here's the choice, here's the consequence. Am I willing to feel this way? Right. Right? That, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, would you just not go to work when you're supposed to be at work? Yeah. No. no. It wouldn't happen because you're a responsible adult. Mm-hmm. Right? You wouldn't not show up and screw all your coworkers. <laughs> right. No, but I mean, why would I want to eat something that was going to make me feel like crap? Mm-hmm. Why would you do that to yourself? And the difference, you know, I'm not going to lie. The first month was hard. You know, the first six weeks were really hard. Um, and I'm not saying I didn't feel deprived every damn day while we were doing that, you know, because um, I'm sure I probably did. But when you realize how much better you feel, um, how much better you sleep, just everything's better. It's like, why would you, why would I want to do that to myself? I, I care too much about myself now to, to do that. I wonder if it was so hard because, well, you didn't have the evidence, right? And you didn't really believe right. that there was, and you didn't know that you were going to feel so good. No, I had no idea. So there was that, again, that drama that was going on of like, is this, is this really going to work? Right. Is, okay, I'm going to give it six weeks and I get the whole insulin thing. And, and that was a big detractor for you. Like that clicked, right? Mm-hmm. There was enough work you had done that we had done in those two years previous where when you read that, you were a sponge. I mean, it was, yeah, right? And it came into you. Whereas I think if you if you had even tried to read it, you'd be like, really? Who is this guy, right? Yeah, this before. is too hard. This yeah. is, I can't do this. Yeah. yeah. Right. So you, you, were, you were ready for that. Mm-hmm. The other thing, and I want to, before we finish up, is about commitment. Mm-hmm. How important has been commitment to your process over the last three years? So not only just with weight loss, right. but with all of it. Um, it's probably been the main reason that I've had so much success. If I never thought about it before, but I never held myself accountable. And you always held me accountable. I mean, I, when I say I never held myself accountable, I mean like 
before we started working together. You know, I would, I would say, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to cut out sugar for a month or whatever like that. And I'd last a day or something like that. It was just so easy to quit. But when you're making a commitment with somebody. And financially. And financially. Yeah. I mean, I was showing up every week. (laughs) Um, Not always happily, but I was showing up. Um, But yeah, making the financial commitment and, and having you say, what are you committing to now? What are you committing to for the next two weeks? I mean, it's not always a huge commitment. It's, it's, a, it's little things, but those little things become habits and they just grow and, you know, on top of each other and kind of expand that way. Um, I don't love making commitments. We, we know that, huh? <laughs> it's like, really? Six months? Um, Maybe that's an old story that you can let go of now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just the right commitment. It, it well, but it, it it holds me accountable, and mm-hmm. um, and again, I have evidence now that it makes a difference when I do make a commitment. So it's it's not a hard thing to do anymore. Well, Carol, thank you so much for showing up. I know that there's some bravery and joy coming here, so thank you because I think this is a real authentic way about how does transformation really happen? Yeah, right. It's you know because. While it's very simple of, yeah, you stopped eating sugars and grains, there was a lot of mental stuff that you had to do to be able to get to that place. Yeah, it was it was a lot of hard work, but I wouldn't change one minute of it. Yay, you. Yeah, thanks. A couple of things that I realized we didn't talk about while we were having this interview was about exercise. When Carol and I were talking off the air, we started discussing this and I said, oh, we should have talked about your exercise process because... Prior to her working with me, she had done other exercise and weight loss programs and just really resisted and hated it. And she now works out, she goes, she walks three or four times a week. And that's something she loves to do. And that's what she does. And at some point, she's talking about possibly incorporating some sort of strength training and maybe doing squats. Um, But she doesn't want to be a taker with exercise and really about, you know, exercising as a way of moving her body and being a gift to itself. So maybe I'll have Carol back another time. We could talk about that because I apologize. We just did not. And one of the things that you may have noticed that I said was the coaching partnership that we had, because I really believe that my clients, it's not that I'm so much better, so much smarter. It's, it's a partnership. And one of the things that I've learned in this work is how important, like Carol talks about being accountable. And it's not that we get on and I'm judgy and I say, well, you ate this or you did this or you didn't do this, but I'm, I'm her partner. And that's how I hold her accountable is that she shows up and I ask her questions. And when she doesn't follow through on a commitment, I ask her questions, but I don't judge her and don't get mad at her. Or don't do any of that stuff. But it's, so it's a partnership because we're both equals walking in the door. And one of the things that I really, really believe is that it's so much easier to do it when you have a team where you have somebody else to do it with versus walking on your own. And then the thought work that she mentioned is stuff that I've talked about. I'll put links to other minisodes about thought work, but really it's about getting, you know, we talked about the decluttering of her brain when she'd have those tantrums and this, the stories, right? The resistance, the old ways of being would show up. So we have this programming. And one of the things, again, Carol said, after we turned off the mics was, you know, you go from this place of you have this way of living a life 
And one of the things that I ask my clients to do is maybe let go of some of those rules, those structures, and then really allow yourself to try on these new tools that she mentioned and this new way of being. And that, and that's really vulnerable and that's scary. And that's why hence she would, you know, throw the tantrums and want to live in the swampland or want to stay in that hallway and can try to convince me that it was a lot more fun there. And I would, a lot of times I would just laugh and say, well, of course, with the mold and the rats, it's just a lot more fun and it's much safer there because that's where we want to hang out. And, um, but that is an example of how change happens. If you would ask me 15 years ago, can compassion be a big motivator for change? I would say, absolutely not. You need to beat the crap out of yourself. You need to beat the crap out of somebody else to get them to shape up. And what I have learned through my trainings and doing this work that I've done for so long is that compassion is the biggest motivator for change. So that's one of the reasons why she would feel safe is that I would hold this compassionate space for her. So one of the things I invite for you is to be compassionate with yourself. Hold that space. There's no need to judge yourself. And you even heard her talk about like, oh, I'll have these thoughts in my head and I'll sit down and I'll, you know, unpack them. I'll look at them. She doesn't beat herself up and say, oh, this is ridiculous or I shouldn't be doing this. She says, oh, here's what I'm thinking. Isn't that interesting? And then that's how she's been able to make these transformations over three years. And we've done a lot of work, right? Because she talked about getting over her guilt and her shame of ending her marriage, um, the issue of alcohol coming up and being an alcoholic and owning her story about being really drunk, you know, dealing with work. And she did so much change that you can see on the outside, just as far as changing jobs, buying a house, buying a car, those kinds of things. And she did a lot of internal work. The biggest thing is being able to believe in herself. And, and I invite you, it's so important to go in and, and really investigate what do you believe about yourself And are these stories even true, right? Think about why you're choosing to not be your own best friend. Would you talk to your own best friend this way? Would you talk to your child this way? Think about that. Think about the people in your life. Would you treat them the way you treat yourself? Because when you can treat yourself with love and compassion and get yourself really rooted there, then you can go out and really flourish. So for Carol, even though it took time for her to really develop self-love for herself. What she did was she started to practice in small steps of taking care of herself. And at first it didn't come across in food, right? That's where she first came, but we had to do this a lot of unpacking of shame. So I invite you self-compassion is the biggest motivator for change. Pay attention to the words that you use with yourself, pay attention to the relationship that you have with yourself and really start there. Cause when you can cultivate that relationship, you're going to have so much more to give other people. It's counterintuitive. It's not the way we are taught culturally. So effective. If you're not signed up for my weekly newsletter, I invite you go sign up now, go to www.howshereallydoesit.com and sign up for the weekly newsletter. That is where we get connected. Every Friday I send out an email to the people that are signed up. I have some of my own words that I'm thinking about things that I've been thinking about themes that have been coming up in coaching sessions with clients. And I share them with you. It's also the place to find out what's going on. If I have coaching uh, sessions that are available, sometimes I offer free mini coaching sessions or when I open up groups. So if you want to find out that stuff, you've got to be signed up on my newsletter. 
go there. Let's get connected. And I always love it when a newsletter subscriber or listener hits reply back after I send an email and shares with me what's going on with them. It is our way to be connected and make this more of a conversation instead of me talking just at you. Until next time, I'm smiling big for you. Thank you so much for listening. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wild.